You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to WFAN's Baseball Insiders. For Monday, July 25th, I'm Sweeney Murdy, and I'm joined today by Anthony McCarron, my colleague at SNY. It's the return to the M&M boys. And Anthony... <laughs> That is a great place to start. Aaron Judge <laughs> is closing in on 40. I I firmly believe, I think many of us have for a while, that he's going to legitimately make a run at 60 and 61 and start challenging Roger Maris for what is still the American League home run record, what is still the Yankees home run record. And I think that still matters, even if he doesn't hit 70 or 73 I think there's still some because of the other issues that have been tied to, to those marks, the PED questions about it. I think there's still some legitimate excitement about seeing Aaron Judge try to get to 60, 61, Ruth, Maris kinds of numbers. What do you think? Oh, absolutely uh, agree, Sweeney. I think it'll be very, very closely watched. And I think fans, especially Yankee fans, but even f- baseball fans in general will really get into it. It's going to uh, reignite the, the debate over what's the real home run record. Um, you know, you know what the record books say that, that uh, Barry Bonds has it. Um, and, uh, you know, but there are people who feel like, you know, Maris is still the, the clean record holder all these years later. And so if Judge hits 65, you know, some people in their own minds are going to push that to be the, uh, the all-time record. Uh, it's going to be interesting and fun to talk about. I think he has a real chance to do it. Uh, you know, I think he's locked in in that way. If he stays healthy, he's going to make a run. We're all going to be paying attention. Um, it's just amazing to see the names he's associated with each time he goes out of the ballpark. You know, I mean, it just, you know, the ones you mentioned before, Ruth, Mantle, you know, Maris, all these guys uh, on Yankee lists. And, uh, you know, of course, if he does complete this, it'll be one of the greatest home run seasons in baseball history, bar none. Um I wonder if the if there'll be a watch a media watch you know where where more and more uh outlets will go just to see if he does it I mean I don't know if we'll see a repeat of 98 because that was a different media era and a different excitement about that record maybe uh but it could be something to watch and it'll all be going on against the backdrop of this Yankee team sort of raging through the schedule playing great you know thinking about the World Series their fans certainly are already and rightfully so so there's there's a ton to to really dig into with Judge and you know look this guy is doing this Sweeney with and and you know this has been a hot topic all year with a a, a strike zone that does not favor the hitter yeah. Uh, yeah and he has gotten you know we've seen it you you've seen it you hear it on the broadcast and you hear the moans of fans you know when when uh, an umpire calls a strike below Judge's knees and uh, if he were getting if he were getting half the calls that he's not getting, Sweeney, I mean, would he have 50 already? I don't know. That's how good he's been this year. 
I, I think, you know, part of the issue, and, and I, I still haven't figured out how to quantify it. There are people smarter than me to hopefully uh, would, because I've, I've been digging around on this a little bit, but haven't really nailed it down yet. He also benefits from the upper part of the zone. There are pitches that probably are strikes to him that do not get called strikes. Now there aren't as many because there aren't as many pitchers trying to go up in the zone on him for obvious reasons. You, right. you know, you, you miss by a little and the ball goes 500, 500 feet. You know, it's easier to try to get him out lower in the zone, which is why he ends up seeing more of those pitches and umpires miss more of those pitches. Um, but I think an interesting part of it as he goes through this is, you know, you mentioned, you know, the clean home run record. There are still people who will put Hank Aaron's name above Barry, above Barry Bonds. And just talking about them shines a greater light on Hank Aaron's career and what that number meant. And I think bringing Roger Maris's name back into the conversation is important too. I, I think that's what we all seem to get out of when someone chases a record. It's not just about the new person eclipsing it. It's right. about shining a light on the old mark and bringing back that player's achievements and accomplishments. And I think Roger Maris saw some of that in 1998, but it, it started to get a little tainted because of the associations of McGuire and later bonds. I think bringing his name and his achievements back up again is another wonderful part of this. Absolutely. Because he's an underappreciated player, no matter what way you look at it, Sweeney. And he, you know, th that record is one thing and, you know, but he wasn't just that record, you know, he won the MVP two years in a row, which is something that not that many guys in baseball have done. He was an excellent defensive outfielder. I mean, I think he's got a claim to a Hall of Fame spot because of the place he holds in baseball history. No, he did not hit 500 home runs. No, he did not click any of the magic numbers. Uh, you know, but of a moment, he is a prime figure in baseball history. It would be nice to see him recognized uh, in Cooperstown for that. And I don't think that that diminishes the Hall of Fame either. I know there's a lot of, there are some Hall of Very Good Police out there who will be very unhappy with that statement. But I just think that his spot in the game's lore is really a, a, a nice thing. And he was an excellent player, uh, played on a bunch of championship teams, uh, terrific outfielder, you know, did something that not many people could do under that pressure. No one wanted him to break that record. Yeah. Everyone wanted the guy next to him to break that record in Mickey Mantle because Mickey was everyone's boyhood hero at that time. And understandably so. He's a larger than life figure. Uh, and always will be, but Roger's the one who did it. You know, he stayed healthy. He was the one who, you know, was under this intense pressure, but he broke the record. He's the one who accomplished it. So look, you're right. I love the fact that it reignites talk about him. And you mentioned Hank Aaron as well. Hank Aaron is the, to me, and this may sound strange because he, you know, he hit all those home runs, 3000 hits. If you took away all of his home runs, he'd still have 3000 hits, which is an incredible accomplishment. Yeah. Uh, but he is the most underappreciated all-time great player of all time to me because he was so incredible for so long. And people don't talk about him maybe the way they ought to. You know, he gets plenty of plaudits and, and deservedly so. But I just, you know, man, he was something else. And what he went through yeah. when he broke Babe Ruth's record is just unimaginable. Uh, the racism and the pressure and everything that was going on with that swirling around in a different era, uh, you know, he, he is just to me one of the most laudable people who has ever 
had any association with Major League Baseball. Uh, and it's it's for those, all those reasons that I love when records get challenged and we get to bring it all up again because, you know, we're old. We, we know all about these things, but there are people who don't know about these things, younger fans that start to learn more. And it's it's, it's just a wonderful part of the of the process of passing on that history. Um, uh, bring it to more current times. Judge is helping his team to, at the moment, the best record in the league. Um the Yankees and the Mets are on the verge here of their first meeting of the year. And I think it's wonderful that we're doing it after the all-star break, roughly a hundred games into the season where both of these teams are in position to think about a, a meeting in October. Uh, so as the Yankees and Mets get set to, to take on uh, each other for the first time, they'll do it again a month from now at Yankee stadium. Are, are, are you still feeling this, possible preview are you still feeling excitement because listen you and i have attended a lot of yankees mets games <laughs> over the course of the last 20 years or so haven't had as much excitement because they already met in the 2000 world series uh both teams were never this good at the same time um and and dreaming of postseason are are you feeling the energy are you excited to see these two teams play each other again sweeney you hit on it the fact that they're both so good and they might actually be the best team in each of their respective leagues. That gives it a little extra pump for me because we haven't had that in a while. It Look, this, this series has always meant something to fans and they are always excited about it because they all know somebody who's, you know, if you're a Met fan, you know somebody who's a Yankee fan, you know, bah, 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 bah. they're talking <laughs> back and forth, you know, and, and, you know, privately Met fans say, we can't lose to the Yankees. And privately Yankee fans say, you know, we can't lose to the Mets. We can't give them a leg up, you know, nothing like that. So it's always been meaningful for them. Uh, I, I think, you know, to the outside world, there's probably Subway Series fatigue, you know, for interleague play. Um, but this year, it's to me, it's a real measuring stick. Maybe the players won't look at it as a measuring stick, because, or at least they'll lip service it, that it's not a measuring stick. You know, we don't look at it this way. It's another game on the schedule. There's a long way to go. Okay, thanks. Um, but, uh, <laughs> uh, you know, the outside will look at it as a measuring stick. You know, I mean, if the Mets go and clobber the Yankees and, and sweep all four, why, wouldn't our opinion of the Mets go way up? Absolutely. Absolutely. So I think there's real heat here for the first time in a long time. You know, the, the rivalry hasn't had the provocateurs that it had in the past e either. You know, I mean, Bobby Valentine was great at getting him under everybody's skin, right, when he was the Met manager. And that was part of his style. And part of what made him a good manager, I think, is that he annoyed people into not playing as well as they could possibly play against him sometimes. And it worked for him. We don't really have that. There's no Roger Clemens, Mike Piazza feud that we're like all breathlessly waiting to see the next chapter of. So if it takes the teams to both be great to give this thing a little more sizzle, I'm all for it. And I think we're in a good spot and I, I can't wait to see the games. I love your take on what, uh, how the players respond to our questions leading up to it. And I remember, you know, I mean, listen, how many times did we ask Jeter and Posada specific, specifically those two who just hated seeing us walk up to their lockers a day before a Mets series or a Red Sox series, even because they didn't like the questions, but they also in turn would later tell you how much they loved playing in hostile environments in right. front of large crowds in front of, um, you know, whether it was playoffs or world series or subway series, where you're talking about all the attention. So clearly they were just tired of us 
talking to them about it, but they loved playing in the environment. And I think that's something that stands out that they just didn't want to admit because they, you know, they were trying to focus on actually winning the games as opposed to talking about the games. But clearly they loved playing in that environment. And I think that these current players will grudgingly admit to that too. Listen, they all do Anthony. When, when there are, when they're, the stands are full the energy is there. They all feel it and they love playing it. And they show you that on the field. They show Absolutely. you that by their excitement. They just don't like talking about it beforehand. Right. I, you know, I did a story for the Daily News uh, back in June about, uh, you know, kind of a look back to the first ever meeting when interleague play started. And, you know, that's what all the players that I talked to said, you know, the atmosphere was unbelievable. It was so great to play in that. So you're absolutely right. They don't want the, they don't want the, um, the sort of pain, I guess, of <laughs> talking about it. And, you know, they're also, you know, I'm sure they're also thinking, you know, I don't want to say anything that somebody's going to take as bulletin board material, and then it's going to be a thing. And then I have to deal with that as the whole thing goes along. Um, but you're absolutely right. I mean, what, what would they rather have, you know, 4,000 people there? And, and, you know, so you could hear the one crazy guy, you know, in the upper deck screaming at the one guy he's got a grudge at, you know, I mean, that's, that's amusing, uh, you know, for a half an inning, but it's not amusing for, uh, you know, a whole series of games when you'd rather have that taut excitement in the air and, and the sort of October feel to it. Uh, and, you know, that's what you really play for. And that's what those guys really crave. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. I, I think th it's interesting too the spacing of these two series. As I said, they're meeting you know roughly around the hundred game mark or so. They're going to meet another month from now, which is after the trade deadline. So these two series are going to look kind of dramatically different or could potentially look dramatically different based on the makeup of the rosters on what the Yankees do at the deadline, what the Mets do at the deadline. If DeGrom comes back in time for that second series right. uh, a month from now, it could change the way these two teams are looking at each other. So I guess my question for you is this, Anthony, who has to go for it more at the trade deadline, the Yankees or the Mets? The Mets are a team that's on the build. And even if they don't get there this year, you know, that with Buck Showalter, with Steve Cohen, with all of that, everything they have riding, they feel like they're a team on the rise. Whereas the Yankees have kind of been building for this for the last five years and have Aaron Judge's free agency hanging out there. I know my answer is the Yankees have to go for it more at the deadline. What do you think? Well, you know, I can't sort of separate that concept from the fact that I think the Mets are the needier team because I think they have more uh, fixable holes right now that they need to do something about if they're serious about uh, making it to the World Series and, and winning the World Series. The overriding thing for me, Sweeney, with the Mets is they've won the World Series twice in 60 years of play. They have a team right now that is good enough to win the World Series if they do some things to supplement, okay? But they've got to make sure that they have patched any of the holes. I think their bullpen is shy right now, and they really need to hit that. 
And I think that they could use more offense too. I mean, the, the numbers are, are stark. They, they're still generating runs. They're sixth in runs per game. Uh, you know, but, but over the past, you know, month, six weeks or so, their offense has really slid back. I know they made the Daniel Vogelbach trade and that, that was, that's a good move, you know, effectiveness against right-handed pitching for him and some slugging, you know, they're 19th in home runs. That's a huge difference between them and the Yankees. The Yankees are obviously first in homers, but the Mets, when they don't, when their put the ball in play approach, uh, you know, doesn't work one night, you know, they have one guy in the lineup who can blow the game open and that's Pete Alonso. The Yankees have that up and down their lineup and they've got more power potential. They hit more home runs. They slug more. That's the problem for the Mets. So they need to, I think they need to do something about that or try to do something about that. That's why I think that's my answer that two in 60 means urgency ought to be there. And believe me, I get what you're saying about the Aaron judge uncertainty beyond this season. And this may be the, the, the time, uh, you know, look, I mean, we're all every, every Yankee fan in the world is still smarting over the fact that they haven't won since 2009, as <laughs> if like a, a World Series every two or three years is a birthright. If you if you are a, a pinstripe fan, um, you know, hey, it's a lot harder than that. So give them credit for all the championships that they've won over the years, including the ones in the past 25 uh, years or so. Um, so, look, they both have holes to me. I think the Mets need to do more to lock down those holes. Listen, Anthony, can, do not make light of the fact that every elementary school in the tri-state area is filled with kids who have never seen the Yankees win a World Series. Come on now. Those poor kids. Oh. <laughs> uh, yeah, they're suffering. Um, I, I, I think it's I, – I, when I look back on this now, though, I think that it's an interesting deadline because both the Yankees and Mets jockeying for position, and I go, think back to 2000, which you covered as a beat writer for the Daily News – and I'm wondering if you have any memories of how that went back and forth. Because remember, it was also a different, it was, you know, pre, uh, really pre-internet, pre-social media, all of that. So the deadline was treated differently when you had to pick up the back page of the paper each morning and see the, what was happening back and forth. And you lived a certain pressure with that. You know, the Mets, the Yankees made their biggest deal with David for David Justice a month before the deadline. Uh, but it was still surrounded by a lot of different intrigue with whether or not they're going to go for Sammy Sosa or Juan Gonzalez or, you know, a couple other names I think were out there. The Mets needed a shortstop because of the injury to Ray Ordonez and they, they had a Barry Larkin deal in place, which fell through. They ended up getting um, uh, Mike Bordick from the Orioles. Right. So there was some jockeying back and forth with those two teams with needs because they saw October in their future. I'm wondering what memory jumps out at you about specifically covering uh, the Yankees during that time. Well, it, it's, it is two th the 2000 deadline, Sweeney, because as you say, that was my first year on the beat. And of course, you know that the Yankees are a big deal. And I had, I had done plenty of Yankees backup coverage before that. You know, so you know the, the kind of uh, excitement that there is around the team when they're going well. Everybody in the world is reading the paper. Uh, you know, more stories and more stories, you know, give us more. What else you got? What else you got? Yeah. That was a daily refrain at the Daily News. <laughs> I, I got this, this and this. Well, how about this and this? Can you do something on that? But anyway, so that that 2000 deadline, you know, it, and, and you're right, leading up to the deadline, I'm, I'm including that part as the deadline uh, okay. part two, because mm -hmm. the the fact of the matter, the fact that you, you, you brought the two names up, Juan Gonzalez, who, of course, was a, uh, a terrifying power hitter of that era. And, and then Sammy Sosa, a couple of years removed from, you know, the great home run chase and everything. These are the names popping up. 
So like, this is a great introduction to, to being the beat writer on, on the team that you're talking about two incredible home run hitters as potential guys for the, it wasn't just, you know, Joey Walnuts for the bullpen and Joe Shablotnik to maybe come <laughs> off the bench. You know, it was, you know, the, the two, two of the biggest names in the sport and then they're, you know, jockeying back and forth. And then the justice trade happens and the backstory on the justice trade was so phenomenal that it just has always stuck with me because it, it, you know, David Justice wasn't, quote, available. It wasn't out there that he was a guy who the Indians were going to trade. But Brian Cashman called the Indians to talk about getting the, a, the, a championship ring to a coach who had been on, Gary Tuck, who had been on the staff the year before. Hey, we want to get him his, his ring. How can we do that? Oh, how, what's going on? What's, you know, what's the deadline going to look for you guys? You know, one thing leads to another, and all of a sudden, David Justice is a Yankee. And it turned out he had an incredible impact on that team. Uh, I mean, he, he, I think he hit 20 home runs in the second half yeah. and, um, you know, was a terrific uh, clutch player for them, had an enormous home run in the playoffs as well. Um, I, I believe that's the famous Michael call, M- Michael K call, right? Uh, get your tokens. Get your tokens ready. Yeah. So, uh, you know, I mean, it was a great trade for them. And that really sort of crystallized, you know, I, I had plenty of experience covering the Yankees by that time because, I mean, that's dog years right there. Uh, you know, when you do that, like a couple months, you're like, yeah, I've been on this beat for like 22 years uh, because it's a grind. Um, but, uh, you know, that sort of brought it home. You know, are they going to trade for Sosa? Are they going to trade for Juan Gonzalez? Wait, David Justice out of nowhere? So it was, it was, that, was that was something else to, uh, to, to see. And, you know, it, it's, it's, always, it's always happening with the Yankees because I remember in, even in those days, you know, they, and they traded for Aaron Boone. Aaron Boone, they got uh, Raul Mondesi at one point. Um, Jeff Weaver was a big deal. I remember how excited they were about getting Jeff Weaver. They thought he was an up and comer. And then, you know, to me, uh, you know, I don't know what your memory of this is, Sweeney, but I, I just remember that it felt like Jeff Weaver didn't pitch well when he first got there. So they were like, oh, this guy's awful. <laughs> right. I, I mean, from the Yankees standpoint, like I think that they kept taking him out of the rotation and putting him in the rotation and they had so many pitchers and and you know they never just let him be and pitch and i think he probably would have been better if they had done that but every every start is like this magnified thing and people talk about the media attention and everything but inside that organization there's a giant microscope for everything like that so if a guy has you know a rough outing uh, you know all of a sudden it's like we really got to think about this guy yeah it's and i think it was magnified then because it wasn't social media or media pressure it was just steinbrenner pressure right right? he's watching every game a lot differently uh and had people around him and just screaming at the people next to him about this guy and that guy you know the thing the thing that always sticks out to me about weaver and i joke with this about uh, with mark feinson about this in you know whatever ref start he got off to in a one in spring of 2002 or no sorry in 2002 and then in spring of 2003 he actually looks really good. He looks amazing. And this is kind of my spring training cautionary tale all the time. He looks so good in the spring of uh, 03 that I'm, you know, I'm on the air with Mike and the mad dog saying he's going to win 18 games. And, you know, they think I'm nuts. And well, I guess they were right because he, I don't think he, I think it took him like two years to win 18 games. Uh, and he didn't win 18 for the Yankees after that uh, total. So, uh, cause, cause you know, spring training is different and, uh, 
people play differently in the pressure. We're seeing that now with Joey Gallo. You know, he does not play well in New York. And that just seems to be part of the, uh, you know, something you can't tell until you see it, which is another fascinating part of the trade deadline stuff is that you can bring in this guy and that guy right? until he actually gets there. You're not going to know what he's going to look like once he sees 40 people around his locker before his first game. Right. Uh, and then what happens when he goes over for four the first time or gives up to your point about Weaver. Okay. He gives up a couple of runs his first time. And it's a lot different than doing it in Detroit or in Texas or someplace else. Sure. And that to me, Sweeney is a great example of why if David Robertson is not on either the Mets or the Yankees by the trade deadline, then both teams ought to reevaluate the way they approach the deadline because that guy has got the guts to handle New York. He's proven it two times over with the Yankees, and he's having a great year with the Cubs. He's fully healthy now. He's got a sub-two ERA. He really looks sharp. Uh, I can't imagine that one of the teams doesn't add him, unless they're just outbid for, you know, they're outbid by another team, another contender who who needs relief. And look, Sweeney, they're all going to need relief pitching, every contender, because... The way the COVID seasons have gone and how workloads have gone up and down, innings limits, attacking everybody's pitching staff, all of that sort of thing. You know, injuries are cropping up now. Uh, you know, the shortened spring training, all that stuff is coming into play now. And so contenders, I think the relief market is going to be wild. And it should be. And look, uh, so, you know, the Yankees and Mets ought to just make a deal for that guy now. I think we wring our hands around bullpen a lot, but I think... I don't think it's unique or unusual because, you know, I, I just keep thinking back to this is that, you know, we we're talking about what the Yankees with their bullpen, with the Mets with their bullpen, but go back and look at the last, you know, handful of World Series championship teams, right? Uh, the Braves, the Dodgers, the Astros, the Red Sox, uh, the Cubs, all of them had bullpen issues. Even as they were having great regular seasons, they were all right. trying to figure out what do we do with the closer? What do we do with this? There's there are all kinds of bullpen issues, those teams. And some of them didn't figure out until they got to October, shorten their starting rotation and move some pieces around right. to figure it out. It's not, you know, you don't have to have your bullpen settled on June 1st, July 1st, August 1st, or even September 1st uh, to win a World Series because there are ways of figuring it out. And I think the championship teams have proven that. So um, I think it's important for both teams to address it, but because they haven't figured it out now and we're, you know, this far into the season doesn't mean that it's going to come back and haunt them in October because, you know, you've also seen guys who just magically have good. I I remember when the Yankees traded for David Weathers uh, in 96 and he was not very good in the regular season. All of a sudden he's pitching great outings for them in in the division series against Texas. You're like, wow, this guy's amazing. (laughs) And how great has he been? Where would we be without him? Blah, blah, blah. Graham Lloyd, same kind of thing. You know, he didn't pitch particularly well, but gets a couple of lefties out and he gets invited back to every old timers day. I mean, this is, there are ways (laughs) around it even if it doesn't look like it on July 25th as we speak. Yes, but you better have the inventory to find the guy who can do it. And you're right about the extra guys coming out of the rotation. That's been big. I mean, the Nationals used Patrick Corbin uh, in the playoffs as a reliever, and he was a huge uh, element uh, for them. You know, that depth is so important. Uh, guys emerging in bullpens are so important. Um, you know, I know a lot of Met fans were a little uh, rankled because they traded Colin Holderman for in the Vogelback deal to the Pirates, and he had kind of emerged as a useful bullpen piece. And, uh, you know, but but they're, 
if the if the club feels like they have other options who can you know but guys who can do that then i guess you make that sacrifice there because they do need the slugging so badly but you know the yankees uh, and and you know this sweeney they've done a good job of developing arms in recent years so they've had they've had enough guy they've had depth where they can it's been a little tested this year because they've had some depth injuries Luis heel is one of the guys i'm thinking of yep. uh and some of the you know obviously at the major league level i've had some injuries too um, but you have to have fodder to yeah. find something in the bullpen. I, you know, maybe that's, that's an, uh, you know, an, a, not a very sensitive word to use, but guy, like, look, but the bullpen can be a war of attrition. Sometimes, you know, you just have to see how many guys you can get to find a guy who emerges and becomes someone that you can trust. And I think that that's why the trade deadline for both teams is so important because they need to just wallpaper the, the bullpen with guys in case more things happen as the season goes along. You know, some pitchers don't figure it out. Some pitchers do, but you got to have guys in place to get in there. You're right. Fodder probably isn't a very sensitive word, but the idea is that you also, teams are looking ahead, and the Yankees have always been very good at this. You know, you look ahead at how many guys you're going to have to protect at the end of the season in your minor league system. So you're going to have to filter some of those guys out, and you start trading guys. They traded a couple infielders last year to Pittsburgh and got Clay Holmes, and they traded guys who weren't. We're going to, you know, they were going to have to protect or, or could knock off the 40 man roster. Uh, there's a lot of 40 man churning that happens too. And sometimes you lose guys um, that turn out to be something. And sometimes you end up getting guys who turn out to be something as the Yankees did with Holmes or with Michael King and things like that. So there's some of those deals to be had too. And you're right. There's a lot of people, there's a lot of people in the system that get churned out for those reasons. So um, it'll be an interesting uh, couple of, you know, listen, by the time people listen to this, maybe some deals will be happening. Happening. So who right. knows? Um, and I've got about three or four other topics that we could hit, but you know, listen, that means just, we should just do this again another time, maybe in a couple of weeks, <laughs> maybe before the next subway series, we will, uh, we'll hit this again and, uh, and see how our uh, thoughts and predictions and ideas have, have come in the course of a month. But uh, Anthony McCarron uh, writes everywhere, including for the daily news still, and you see him on SNY. So um, make sure you follow him at Anthony McCarron. That's correct. Right. Uh, yes. Yeah. On Twitter. That's me. Okay. Yeah. Uh, at Anthony McCarron and you watch him on SNY and occasionally we get to mix it up on there as well. This <laughs> has been WFAN's baseball insiders for Monday, July 25th. Thank you all for listening. Make sure to subscribe and review and all that jazz until next time for Anthony. I'm Sweeney Murdy. Okay. Picture this. It's Friday afternoon. When a thought hits you, I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones so we'll never lose touch with civilization and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. 
It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary.